Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. All right, so you heard on last episode that Liz Loza is leaving. Uh, With that news, we are going to actually be reconfiguring this podcast here for the upcoming season. I, Matt Harmon, by the way, uh, starting today, I'm going to be the full-time host of the show. So if you hate me, (laughs) you're going to hear a lot more of me. Um, But hopefully you don't, because I think this is... Obviously, it's unexpected, but it's it's a challenge that I'm really excited about uh, to host the show every day uh, because I think that one of the greatest parts about working at Yahoo is that I'm surrounded by a bunch of people, and I've said this a lot since uh, since you know finding out that this was going to be the plan. One of the things that excites me about this is that you know I see the game very differently from uh, Andy Barons, from Dalton Del Don, and from Scott Pienowski, who is joining me today. And I think that's going to be a really good experience to, uh, for the listener to kind of get all these different perspectives. Uh, the way I see the game is different than the way Scott sees the game. And I think that's going to help you, the listener, better uh, enjoy the game of football, better um, yourself as a fantasy player. I think it's, you know, trying to see the silver linings. I, I think it's going to be a fun experience uh, for everybody out there. It's going to be a challenge for me, but it's one that I'm excited about because I kind of want to be the best guide possible through every single season. So um, starting next week, we're going to go back to five episodes per week and, and and we'll be rolling, man. So Scott, thank you for um, joining me today on the first kind of uh, first episode of this new way of, of doing the show. I, I am very excited about it. And I think we're going to put out a really good product for people out there. Well said. Um, I'm excited too. Uh, thrilled to be the first co-host of the first guest of the Matt Harmon experience. And uh, also, I just want to be remiss. I, <laughs> I, know, I know the that. last the last episode was our farewell to Liz. I, I just wanted to publicly just thank her for being a great friend and a great teammate for the seven years she was here. You know, you guys only see the output. We got to work with her and, and behind the scenes, she's just a tremendous person to work with. And I'm sure she'll crush it at her next stop. You know, you'll, you'll hear about that going forward, but you know, everybody, you won't find anybody who works with her to say a negative thing about Liz because she's really tremendous. But I also feel great about the team we have in place. And, and look, I mean, we're taping this on the last day of July. So we, we know that draft season really amps up in August. These are the reps that matter. These are the takes that matter. These are the rankings that matter, however you want to spin it. So uh, let's get going, man. Let's, let's help people win some championships this year. No doubt. I'm really excited about the season. And and of course, obviously, we do wish Liz uh, well in her next adventure. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Uh, you know, here it's it's going to be um, 
more of the same great content, just uh, formatted a little bit differently on the podcast. So, if again, if you hate me, you've got one last buffer week here to, to get out, but I hope you stick around because I think it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be awesome. And my God, Scott, somehow today uh, on this first episode of this kind of new venture, same podcast, but a different way of doing it, you know, we're going to take a look at some of the early news coming out of training camps, but we're also, by some twist of fate, going to be discussing the damn Carolina Panthers, who, if you have followed me for a long time, you know I have a complicated relationship with, so that should be fun. Uh, but first, Scott, we do have to talk about one news item here. DK Metcalf, uh, Seattle Seahawks stud wide receiver, has inked a monster extension, three years, $72 million, uh, $30 million signing bonus. It's the most ever for a wide receiver. Well-deserved. DK is a superstar wide receiver. I think he's right up there with some of the best in the league. He, he's, you know, tied with Tyler Lockett there. I think they're still, even though the quarterback situation is so murky, still one of the very best duos of wide receivers out there right now. I, I mean, I guess we can use this kind of as a, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the extension, but we could certainly use this as a um, sort of where you are on the Seattle Seahawks passing game and DK Metcalf in particular. Yeah, certainly well-earned. Um, no disputing the ability of Metcalf and, and just, shows that you can get a game-changing receiver outside of the first round. And, you know, that draft produced so many guys who went after the first round who were great, you know, A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin, one of my favorite receiver drafts. We will not mention who went in the first round, Hollywood <laughs> Brown and so, somebody Marquise else. Brown. Marquise Brown and another guy. And another guy. <laughs> kind of my bingo card there. But so, I, you know, if I'm BK Metcalf, I, I guess you know he can't say this in public, but he's probably wondering, you know, when are you going to get at least the league average quarterback in place? Seattle was mentioned as kind of a down ballot possibility for Baker Mayfield. That didn't happen at some point. If the 49ers, I don't think they would trade Garoppolo in division, although maybe they wouldn't care. But maybe if Jimmy Garoppolo is cut at some point, maybe that could be an answer for Seattle. Maybe it's just they handle the quarterback situation in a year or two. I don't know. But I'm not drafting proactively into Metcalf just because I like the rest of the world. I see Geno Smith as a quality backup, not really somebody you want as a long-term starter. And I don't think there's any indication that Drew Locke can be a positive, you know, even an at-league average quarterback. So, um, you know, last year, the efficiency metrics were down for Metcalf. I'm not sure what he did in your route charting. So you can tell me that after I finish talking. But a lot of touchdown deodorant last year, but I wasn't happy with what I saw from Metcalf, mostly because he was just submarine by the things around him. We know football, you're a product of your environment. I'm looking at the Seattle team. I think they're going to win four games. I think their offense is going to be a mess. And sometimes you look at an offense, there doesn't have to be a right answer on every team. You know, right. um, there doesn't have to be a right answer in this backfield. There doesn't have to be a right answer with these receivers. As talented as Lockett is, as talented as Metcalf is, I'm not as deep into drafting this year as I usually am because unfortunately you can't do best ball drafts right now in Michigan, but I don't think I have any DK Metcalf yet. And it's, it's only a comment on the pieces around him. It's not at all a comment on the ability that he obviously possesses. Yeah, I think the ability, like you said, is still there. Um, you know, last year was still a really strong separator, good in reception, perception, all that type of stuff. It is just when you're looking at ecosystems to buy into, it's just tough with the Seattle Seahawks. Because I really do think, like, unless Jimmy Garoppolo's cut, He's not going there. And I mean, I think at some point he actually is going to get cut, but then they'll be onboarding him super late to the process. Like we're, st we're, there's no way to avoid the fact that we're getting some Geno Smith, Drew Locke starts this year, one way or another, like that is happening. And I would say right now, the most likely scenario is that we're going to get those through the course of the season. The, the Seahawks seem pretty, uh, pretty interested in doing that. So I agree with you. I've not found myself clicking DK Metcalf at all. You know, the tier from like tier four wide receivers for me, he's in that group, but I, 
like Allen Robinson, who we're going to talk about more later. I like Cortland Sutton more in that group. You know, Brandon Cooks, Marquise Brown, who we mentioned, Jalen Waddle. Like, uh, it is just tough for me to click him. I, I do, and I know we'll talk more about the Seahawks. I think they're, they're our next team preview on the next episode. So we'll talk. Um, I, I'm the new host of the, the show every week. I should probably know that. But anyways, <laughs> we'll talk more about them, I think, next episode. But um, yeah, with Metcalf in particular, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I'm, I've not found myself clicking him very often. So let me uh, throw out one more thing about Seattle, and, and you guys yeah. can talk about this maybe next uh, episode with Andy. The the NFL scheduling gods gave us a real chestnut because the final game of the first week is the Monday nighter where Russell Wilson and the Broncos go to Seattle. It's interesting that Denver's already a five point favorite. I bet that line goes oh, up. Man. Yeah. yeah, man, I I think Russell Wilson is going to unleash holy hell on his former team, and it's going to be and the game's going to end. He's going to get the player of the game or whatever. He's going to be interviewed by the people there. They'll show the graphic. He'll have five touchdown passes. And it's going to be like, you know, your final score again, Broncos 38, Seahawks 11, you know, or something like that. You know, it's going to be a blowout. I would get in on that now. Or if, if you're a tease player, it's a number minus five is a classic tease line. I bet that line goes up to like seven by kickoff. One way or another, it will definitely be must watch TV. For sure. All right, before we get to the rest of the podcast, I wanted to follow up the DK news by letting you know that Debo Samuel also got the extension he was aiming for. It's a three-year extension worth $73.5 million with $58.1 million guaranteed. That comes in from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. That news didn't break until after Scott and I were done chatting earlier Sunday. Listen, I'm on the record of saying I'm always in favor of good wide receivers getting paid. Debo's a good wide receiver, good move for everybody involved, but I promise I will dig deeper into this with Andy on tomorrow's episode, so make sure to come back for that. On to the rest of the show. All right, so yeah, we have now one full week through training camps. Like, I mean, Scott, it's exciting. I'm excited about this stuff. It is like, you know, we're fully back on... uh, fantasy analyst post video of uh, a player doing something really great in practice with um, I think Andy said on the last show like rocket ship emojis I've seen a lot of like oh I was told that insert player can't do this thing that I mean he's doing in training camp anyways it's exciting I, I love this time of year uh, because we we do get caught up in it and and it's fun to get caught up in it we we if football wasn't exciting we wouldn't be uh, so interested in the sport but nevertheless there are a lot of um, actual real stories to break down some news nuggets that we're getting we'll start off um in new orleans where uh, the great enigma has has finally returned michael thomas was taken off the pup he's been practicing this past week he's been a little in and out of practice which is to be expected i think the team said they'll 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 kind of ease him in and out that that's totally um to be expected where are you at with michael thomas this year i I mean this is at least a good start right yeah it's a good start but Man, I I look at Jameis Winston. I don't think of Jameis Winston's skill set being a great fit for what Michael Thomas is good at. Obviously, Sean Payton's gone. The Saints are a big fade for me. Uh, Alvin Kamara is more the power fade because he's somebody who goes in early rounds. And there's been some positive talk about maybe the suspension won't be an issue this year. But um, I don't think I'm going to draft anybody in the Saints proactively because I just don't like the way Jameis fits in this offense. They, They have a rookie receiver who may be an impact player right away. Yeah, if Tampa Bay can't win this division, I feel this way about the Colts too. Like the Colts must look around their division. Everything's gone wrong in Tennessee, and there's two other teams rebuilding. Just look at the 
NFC South, and then we're going to get to the Panthers. I feel like I've, I've spent 89% of my professional life with you talking about Allen Robinson of the Carolina Panthers, by the way. I'm well, I'm really, we can... so, I'm really sorry for one of those things. One, I'm really sorry about the Panthers part of it because that sucks because yeah. I, I, I don't look forward to talking about this team at all. <laughs> No, not all. Although we're all happy to see Allen Robinson land in a in a happy marriage, and you know, hopefully he can have the season that Matthew Stafford had last year. But uh, Michael Thomas, you know, was always a pain in the neck, even though when things were going good. But you know, you see, like with Antonio Brown, you know, that stuff is yeah. You can live with that baggage when the when the numbers are up. You know, when the production is there, when the production isn't, they they become oh wow. You know how how are we coexisting with this player? I. I see the ADP swelling a little bit. I, I have not drafted proactively into Michael Thomas. And if I'm wrong, if, if he comes back after a couple of really lost seasons, if he and James Winston make beautiful music together, then I'll be wrong. I just don't think that they're what they're good at is a particular fit. And, and that makes me reluctant to draft into it. I think it's so interesting to kind of hear you say that. Cause I, I can talk myself both directions with the saints. I feel like, and I mean, I think Michael Thomas is really emblematic of this, that, there's a wide range of outcomes on Michael Thomas. Like if he plays two games for this team and barely does anything, I wouldn't be surprised if he, I mean, I think it'd be, I would be stunned if he had a season like he had in 2019. That's, I don't think that's within the range of outcomes, but if he comes back and he's like a fringe top 10, top 12 real life NFL receiver, I don't think that would be that surprising either just because he was that good legitimately at his peak. And I think the saints offense could be the same way, Scott. Like I think they could be, I think there's a chance if, if Winston, who is, you know, still com he's coming back from a major injury, too. I think that kind of goes under discuss, but they've basically hitched their wagon to Jameis Winston, who's a guy that I think is a fringe starting quarterback. Um, I could see him being really great in this like wide receiver heavy offense because I am expecting him to be wide receiver focused back in Michael Thomas's 2019 season. He had a 33 percent target share. That's not happening again because they have Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry, who you know, he's not what he used to be, but he's still a really he, he's a hell big, a hell of an upgrade over what they had last year. Right. Like they were the worst wide receiver unit in the NFL last year. This year, they've got two guys behind Thomas who are going to command targets. In 2019, Thomas had 23 more targets than the second and third place guy on the team who were a running back and a tight end. That's not how this team looks this year. So a lot of changes since Thomas's peak. I could see the Saints being a bottom five offense. I don't think I could see them being a top five offense without Sean Payton, but I could see them being really interesting. So it sounds like you're more on the negative side. I'd lo really love drafting Chris Olave because I think he can kind of be the benefactor if there is any chaos with Michael Thomas. And I'm with you that I, I think with Thomas, there's still, I feel like it's, it's maybe worth the risk, but I'm not 100% convinced where it sounds like you're kind of all the way out. Yeah, I could see Olave being the beneficiary here for sure. I, another thing about this offense that worries me, it's probably the worst offensive line they've had since Kamara got there. That's true. You know, what is five, six years ago? So that, that's another reason why. And you might say, well, why do I care about the offensive line if it's, you know, we're talking about passing concepts? I mean, you want the buoyancy of the offense. You want them to move the ball. You want them to be in the red zone. You want them to, to hold the ball for plays and snaps and all that type of stuff. So the one thing I will say is at least – the new coaching is this it's been continuity they've hired from within the organization so it's not like some outsiders coming in and the scheme's totally different but uh, i i expect when i look at my portfolio a month from now i think the saints will be one of the lowest represented teams on my sheet and that's just man we haven't said that in so long because you know breeze and peyton made beautiful music for so long and then last year they still had peyton but um this year this is not a team i'm this is not a green light team not a proactive team for me at all
it's fascinating because Pete Carmichael has been the offensive coordinator basically the entire time that Sean Payton has been there. And he even called plays the one year Sean Payton was suspended for the bounty gate stuff. And I, I still feel like we know really nothing about him because Payton is such an overwhelming figure, deservedly so in that organization. Um, all right. You mentioned Allen Robinson. Let's, let's move on to him. I'll skip ahead to him on the outline here. He's, and you know, I love, you know, I love this, right? I mean, he's been drawing immense praise from Rams camp, Jordan Rodriguez, Robert Mays. They did a show on the athletic football podcast, just about how much, you know, and, and Jordan says this on the show that she's not somebody to get excited. Great beat writer for the Rams. She's not someone to get excited, not someone to like over promise and, and like do hot takes or anything, but she's so all the way in based on her conversations with this team, how they're all the way in on Allen Robinson. And I love it because I think he was still a very good player last year that was totally torpedoed by an everything that could go wrong situation did go wrong. And I, I you know, I think he's just going to have a huge role. He's for me right now, he's wide receiver 18, which has been quite a bit ahead of consensus rankings. And I'm still, te- I'm still tempted to push him up even further because I want everybody that use my, uses my rankings this year, uses my pre-draft thoughts to draft Allen Robinson. Um, how have you reacted to, to this, uh, you know, kind of praise that he's been drawing? And also I should note too, their third receiver, Van Jefferson, is seeing a knee specialist. Sounds like a little murky situation there. They don't have a lot of depth behind these guys. Yeah, my my Robinson rank, the last I looked, was in the early 20s. And I've wondered if that's not optimistic enough, if I need to rank him in the top 20 or, or maybe even better than that. And it's just for, my first thought is I'm just happy to see Rob, Alan Robinson had poor quarterback play at Penn State. He had poor quarterback play at Jacksonville. He obviously had poor quarterback play in Chicago. And and you mentioned this last year. I mean, the fact that Robinson had a horrible year last year, you got to throw that out. That's just, he was just buried by the context of the Chicago offense. That is not at all an, you know, a condemnation of Allen Robinson. And so much like Matthew Stafford escaping Detroit at the right time, and look, I get it. Detroit's kind of a frisky team right now. They're on the rise. There are some good things to say about the Lions. They're, they're probably the one Detroit franchise you can feel good about right now. I'm just happy to see Allen Robinson with a plus quarterback, with an offensive designer that we all believe in. And what looks like, even before Jefferson got hurt, this looks like a very narrow tree. This looks like a team that wants to get the ball to its best players. And, and you always talk about like those layup targets that they give to Cooper Cup, you know, all those easy catches he gets. And I think Robinson's going to get a bunch of those too. I think he yeah. can easily catch 85 or 90 balls. And so we have to ask ourselves, when you take a receiver – who's not the number one target on his team. Cause no, nobody's saying, okay, Robinson's going to be a, you know, a co number one with cop or yeah. the number one receiver here. Nobody expects that. And short of a cup injury, it's not going to happen. But what type of offense would a number two receiver need to be in with, with us looking at him and saying, I can take him proactively. Well, we'd want a plus quarterback. We have that. We'd want a narrow receiving tree. We have that uh, even just, just a little, a soft factor, you know, Robinson leaving that bad Chicago situation and going to a different team. I mean, not that he's been taking any off seasons off or he's come to camp out of shape or anything like that, but that's going to put a little bit of extra incentive and bounce in your step. And, you know, it didn't take long for Stafford and cup to get on the same page. I I would think Robinson just feels like he's died. He's gone to heaven. He's going to the Super Bowl (laughs) champions. And I I think, I think by the end of this show, he's going to be in my top 20. I, I, now look, you're, you're Matt Harmon. You, you and Alan Robinson go way back. I don't know if I can rank him as optimistically (laughs) as you might, if we're in a draft together, I might just have to concede Robinson to you, but I think he's going to, I think he's going to return at least return value on his ADP. And I think there's certainly room for profit as well. I mean, you mentioned 
the there's a lot there to unpack that, that you mentioned and i think you're right there was one when because i went and listened to that show that jordan and robert did uh on the athletic and you know she talked about not just the fact like they are so blown away by alan robinson and how good he is and all that they're going to do with him and and the way he's so detailed in his technique and stuff he is on the inverse blown away by how much better it is to be there than the places he's been like he, that and he even said that folks told him going into it you know that you'll when you get to LA it will be almost like a oasis in the desert you know which and he has been in the NFL desert for most of his career so I totally understand that and you're right it does sound like they're not gonna kind of put him just as the ISO X receiver, which is an important role in that offense. Like he's not going to do what Robert Woods did because they're just different players, but he's going to be moved around the formation. He's going to get some of those layup targets. You know, he, he was used a decent bit in the slot in, in er, the earlier ports of his uh, Chicago career was Allen Robinson. I think we could see some of that too, like him and Cooper cup switching off roles. You know, it, the, a lot of times Scott too, when you talk about Robinson, people bring up like, well, Odell Beckham only averaged like 6.8 targets per game. You got to remember that Beckham was onboarded in the middle of the season Robinson was a player that they targeted they went after specifically and, and and decided to bring in you know Robert Woods was pacing for 130 targets before he got hurt I think Robinson can hit that and yeah he can absolutely pay back his ADPs yeah his player I'm back in on again nobody's nobody's surprised about that and nobody will also be surprised about um I'm getting excited about the 49ers. Um, you know, Trey Lance, they've officially decided they are moving on. I mean, not this was decided a long time ago, but they said it publicly that they've moved to Trey Lance. Like Jimmy Garoppolo is barely a figure there. He's like sometimes off on the sides on the practice field, but very rarely doing any work with the team. And there's been some kind of, you know, whatever reports about Trey Lance at practice. I don't care about his practice completion percentage, but I do care, Scott, about your thoughts on how he's going to change the construction of this offense and which players might he Trey Lance you know and, and his skill set pull you more towards or push you a, away from drafting yeah I have two key takeaways here one not, not that there has to be a this year's Jalen Hurts but there's if there's going to be Trey Lance seems to check all the boxes and you, you did give Trey Lance a pass for last year I mean the guy didn't play the previous season there's every reason for the Niners with an easy schedule with an incumbent in Garoppolo who at least was still competent to treat it as like a redshirt year for Lance. That's what they did. But they know now, look, it's, it's not a, a big deal. I mean, Patrick Mahomes hardly played his rookie year. He just got that final game in at Denver. Of course, he was fantastic that day and said, kind of, here I am, world. You're going to want to draft me next year. We've seen quarterbacks their second year, Lamar Jackson, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks their second year take a big leap forward. And we know, if nothing else, even if Lance struggles at times as a downfield passer, he's going to run aggressively. He's going to run probably when some plays break down, too. Probably might even run from some inexperience. So you're going to get that. So I certainly see he's a very intriguing upside pick for where he's going at ADP. My other strong takeaway here is that as much as I love Debo Samuel, last year's rushing model is just not rep It's not something we can project going forward. He doesn't want to do it as much. I think the Niners want to push back. And I'm not going to draft Debo at his current ADP for a couple of reasons. One, I, I just think it's hard for him to return value on it because I think it's going to be a shift in what they ask him to do. But I also want to have that slot open if I can get Brandon Ayuk, who right now I think is a great value and could easily – I don't think it's it's that crazy to think that Ayuk might be the team's leading receiver. I think that's in play. You're getting him really late. You'll be able to draft him as somebody who's on your bench with upside. Remember last year, Ayuk was going before Debo Samuel. It looks silly now, but this is how football is. I mean, you know, you look back a year or two and things look really crazy because uh, one football season is like five years in real life, it feels like. 
I'm back in on Brandon Ayuk at, a, at what I think is a very affordable price. And we don't know yet. We haven't seen enough of Trey Lance to know if he's going to click with one particular guy. And man, again, I, I'm not drafting Samuel. I think Ayuk at current price is a tremendous opportunity as somebody you want the guys in your bench, which you, you will draft him as a bench player in, in any standard league. You want them to have plausible upside. And Brandon Ayuk certainly has that. He's somebody who I've been targeting in early drafts. Yeah, I, I was definitely one of the people that was really high on Brandon Ayuk last year. Um, I wish I I don't regret being high on Brandon Ayuk at all because when he was actually in part like a part of the offense, he was the guy you drafted him to be. He was a top twenty receiver from week eight on last year. Um, he he just wasn't as good as Debo Samuel, and I, that's the thing I regret. I regret not being higher on Debo, uh, of course. But you know, while Debo's not been totally involved with the team because he's doing the hold in thing with the with this contract extension waiting for that DK Metcalf deal himself Ayuk has been drawing rave reviews from the coaching staff you know Kyle Shanahan's talked about how he dealt with the challenges last year like a man and you know move forward and he's making great catches in practice I mean I do think that right now I mean Ayuk is a guy that I, I've always wanted to buy in on but you know there's a lot right there's a lot right now pushing me to kind of drop Debo Samuel down the rankings a bit and continue to push Brandon Ayuk up. Who's a guy that I do want to be ahead of consensus on. Cause I, I agree with you. Like even if Ayuk isn't better than Debo Samuel this year, from a production standpoint, that gap could be a lot closer than, you know, Ayuk is a guy who goes like fringe wide receiver 40 and Debo goes well within the top 10 receivers. I am very, very, very confident that that gap is much closer uh, when the season ends this year. So and yeah, I totally I, agree. I, I, with with Lance taking over, how does this affect your view on Eli Mitchell or anybody else in this backfield? Well, that's one thing too. Like in practice, there's been I know that everybody's deadly afraid of the Shanahan running back committee, but Elijah Mitchell's been the clear cut RB one with like Trey Sermon taking a couple snaps, Jeff Wilson taking a couple snaps, and like Tyrion Davis Price still pretty far down the depth chart as the rookie running back there for the San Francisco 49ers. So I've been really still excited about Elijah Mitchell, who's the guy that was the bell cow back from a rushing standpoint all last year. He's not going to catch a lot of passes, uh, is Elijah Mitchell with Trey Lance back there. Probably going to have his touchdown ceiling capped by Trey Lance, who's just a really good runner in his own right. But I don't know. I, I think that could be it can be an efficiency boost for Elijah Mitchell as kind of the speed back there to complement Trey Lance's almost as like the power back. So I, I've been ahead of consensus on Elijah Mitchell, and he's a guy that when you get to round four or five, that type of area with running backs. I'd rather take him than, you know, certainly like Josh Jacobs or, uh, you know, Brees Hall or and Travis Etienne's kind of right there with him in my ranking. So I've been I've been really excited about Elijah Mitchell this year. Well, if I can give you one thing on this show, don't draft Josh Jacobs. Um, Not yet. I, mean, I, would, I wouldn't touch that guy. That horrible <laughs> offensive line, and they're going to use three backs. I think they're just going to have to throw the ball all over the yard as they try to keep up with the – the points they're going to allow. So Josh Jacobs is almost, I know we say this at price where you would take anybody in ADP where you would draft anybody, but I don't think I'm ever going to see it with Josh Jacobs. In the case of Mitchell, I think he's somebody you don't have to draft proactively. You just can go into a room and there'll be a lot of rooms where he'll fall, you know, six, 10, 12, you know, 12 picks, 14 picks past where he normally goes. And then it's like, okay, this kind of makes sense. Now he's a player who I say, okay, if the room pushes him to an area, which I think he might fall to, there'd probably be a wide range of his draft outcomes. I'm open to doing it. I'm just not going to draft him proactively. So if we go back to the red light, yellow light, green light, he's a yellow light player for me, but kind of a yellow plus I'm open to him. I just want to get him at my preferred ADP. 
Yeah, it just sounds like that he's getting pushed down because of this narrative that the 49ers use a committee, but they didn't with Elijah Mitchell last year. It was basically only because of injury. So I agree with you. He's a guy that I, I don't go into drafts thinking I better get me some Eli Mitchell here, but he's a guy I often end up with. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Now this next storyline, I guarantee now that I'm I'm going to be in the host chair of this show every single day for, for the pod, people are going to just hate me for obsessing about the Steelers receivers, but I find them to be such a fascinating group. So I just want to kind of run through a couple of notes with them. Number one, Deontay Johnson sort of doing the hold-in thing as well. He even talked about it because, again, I'm obsessed with this topic. I find these players also fascinating for... <laughs> No, no reason. Other than I am a big Deontay Johnson fan. I watched an interview with him where he said, like, I wouldn't be doing this, but it's just in my best interest. Right. Like he wants to be out there practicing, but I'm sure his agent said, like, you don't need to be going out there doing anything until they give you a new contract, which may or may not happen. So I I don't know um, how that situation will sort out, but he's doing the hold in thing. Chase Claypool was working in the slot which is really interesting because I think Claypool stunk last year, couldn't get open, couldn't run routes on the outside. I think he actually could be a much better fit as a big slot receiver, really can beat man zone coverage better on the inside than he probably can as a pure outside guy. And George Pickens, the rookie receiver, Scott, who I'm a big fan of, was one of the best press coverage beaters last year among the college prospects, just a really good refined X receiver, is drawing a lot of positive reviews. It sounds like that will be on week one, their three receiver set, Deontay Claypool and and George Pickens. And then it just kind of depends on is Claypool going to play in two receiver sets or will George Pickens win this battle? Because right now Chase Claypool actually is day to day with a shoulder injury. So are you excited about the Steelers offense? I know this is a stupid topic that I like a lot. I mean, you know, freaking Kenny Pickett doesn't even sound like he's got a shot to to start week one. It's probably going to be Trubisky. So should I stop caring about this group as much as I seemingly uh, do? Or, or are you interested in kind of an upside bet with any of these guys? I'm always interested in, in the Steelers receivers. For whatever reason, for the last 20 years, this team has drafted receivers better than everybody else. And they found so many talented guys outside of the first round. So that, that's part of it. And we know that Roethlisberger was such a compromised player. It's easy to make a Mitch Trubisky joke. And we know Pickett's pick a rookie and all that. But Roethlisberger was so compromised his final lap around the league that I think just getting him out of there is a positive for him. You know, just to, to steal some of your words, uh, Dante Johnson commands targets and that that's a skill. That is something a receiver does that we give him credit for. And it's so hard in football to isolate what they do, but Johnson's going to get targets no matter who the quarterback is. And I, he's somebody who I could draft proactively at his current ADP. You, you talk about Claypool didn't play well last year. There's no doubt about it, but you know, the touchdown totals from his first to second year just don't really make sense. And I, I think back to that first year, he had the the four touchdown game against Philadelphia. And I remember at least a couple of those touchdowns were just slot beaters, middle of the field. You know, how do you cover this guy? I, I, I'm one, at least one touchdown I can see it in my mind. The Eagles weren't yep. covering him. It was like they were point shaving. But I feel like getting Claypool involved at that level of the field, and you know, I, they have a good tight end in Fryermuth, but he's basically like a big tight end. 
I'd like to think that there's an upside for Claypool. I was disappointed to see him have a setback with the shoulder only because not that it changes that much, but I was hoping Claypool would have a really smooth preseason. And maybe by the end of the summer, when I was drafting, I could be a little bit more confident in making a pick with him, but still he's got a double digit touchdown season on his resume. So I, I can't forget that. I don't know what to do with Pickens. Yeah, he's a guy who you can't go on Twitter right now without finding some Pickens hype or some Pickens video. And what do you do with these things? You know, sometimes you're running against twos or you're running against defenses. They're kind of jogging through the motions and everything. Nobody's tackling. They have these goofy helmets on, which, you know, if they can make them safer, I'm all for it. I've always wondered why they couldn't put some kind of soft foam around the helmet. I guess they're doing it in practice now. I'm not a NASA engineer, but anything that can help these guys not get concussed is a, is probably a good thing. But bottom line is this. The Steelers always have talent at receiver. They have a moving situation, a fluid situation, a quarterback. Deontay's going to get his 135, his 140, 145 targets. At his current ADP, I'm fine with it. Claypool's a guy I'd like on my bench because of the touchdown upside. I probably won't draft Pickens in a standard league only because I'm asking him to maybe move in on Claypool and step into a situation where the quarterbacks aren't solidified. But I, I think I'm going to have a fair amount of DJ and a fair amount of Claypool when the draft season's over. And, and, understanding that Pickens is a good player and maybe he'll be somebody we'll talk about during waiver season because he won't be drafted in a lot of standard leagues. But I think you're right to circle the Steelers as a team to watch because again, a shifting quarterback landscape and a team that always has a very deep, interesting receiver room. Yeah. And even if the quarterbacks aren't good, they'll be, like you said, Ben Roethlisberger is just so limiting and he just him himself as a, as the way he was limited the offense and controlled the offense to such a point um, that these guys might, you know, Deontay's not going to get the 160 plus targets that he did last year, but he could get 130, 140, like you said, better looking targets, more efficient targets downfield. Like uh, I've said that Deontay Johnson was more held back by Ben Roethlisberger than propped up by Ben Roethlisberger's dead arm. So um, we'll see. I, I'm really fascinated if, if Pickens can win the, like receiver job in two in two wide receiver sets uh, because I, I, you're right he's a guy that could be on waiver wire speed dial if he goes out and has you know a really nice couple of catches eighty plus yards in week one I could see him being one of the most popular ads there. Remember too that Ben didn't want to do play action he didn't like turning his back to the defense so I mean I mean, that's he one of the Scott he didn't even want to go under center like he wouldn't even go under center he's that like specific about it right so now all of a sudden you know play action is a cheat code play action yeah. is a way to there are certain things you can do to um, get an edge on the defense that Roethlisberger wasn't comfortable doing at the end of his career. Just the fact that he's not there anymore and you have more flexibility with your playbook, as you said, didn't want to be under center, you know, uh, that, that's got to help the offense. I, and nobody's going to say it. Like Ben Roethlisberger is a walk-in Hall of Famer. He had a great career. He won Super Bowls. You know, he had a lot of signature moments at, at his younger peak. He could extend plays like just about nobody in the league. I mean, you know, I'm not here to, to bash his overall career, but he was a ne net negative at the end of his career. And now they're moving on to something different. And, and you know, the thing with Trubisky is he landed in a horrible situation in Chicago. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe Mitch Trubisky can't play. We'll we'll find out. But I don't know how he could have succeeded in the hand he was dealt with the Bears. I I think it's possible he could be a league average quarterback. I, I Maybe I'm damning with faint praise by saying that, but I'm not willing to say, oh, well, Mitch Trubisky, you know, he'll be a nightmare. I, I don't know that for sure. I think he could be a competent quarterback. Yeah, I'm open to that possibility as well. All right, I want to make sure we talk uh, about these two running back committees before we kind of do some quick hitters on wide receivers. I'll just throw it and see if you like any. And then, of course, we still have to talk about the damn Panthers. First of all, Patriots, your Patriots, the running back committee. What do we make of 
the Ramondre Stevenson hype. Uh, I saw Ian Harditz from uh, Pro Football Focus say he's really got to hand it to fantasy Twitter for trying to make uh, Ramondre Stevenson happen. But I think there's a chance he might actually be happening. Like just a couple of headlines here. Peter King believes he's going to get the bulk of carries is Ramondre Stevenson. Um, he's a quote leaner, 225 pounds, according to Mike Reese. He's been, you know, getting targeted like one of the top receivers on the team. I think that's crucial is his passing down role, but I don't totally want to write off Damian Harris, who is a good back. And I still think is an attractive player. I kind of feel like both of these guys are attractive players at their ADP. Scott, how have you sort of viewed this running back committee so far? Yeah, I was pro Stevenson in the spring when his price was cheaper. It sounds like, Oh, I was, I I saw you two in concert for anybody knew who they were, you know, whatever, but (laughs) Maybe that's a dated reference in and of itself. But the thing we have to do with the Patriots is that James White, early returns or early news is trending downward on him. I wouldn't even be surprised if he was cut or retired. He's had a great career, but he's just at that age where it's just hard to rely on him as an NFL regular. If White is not, whether he starts the season unavailable or if he doesn't even make the club, which is possible, we got to figure out who's going to be their James White and the Patriots always have a lot of talent in the backfield. They always have a lot of options. They're one of the teams least likely to give us any clue on the usage. It's just going to be weeks where we can't see it coming, where you know, maybe Stevenson has four-carry game, and the next week he has a 19-carry game. And it's the way the Patriots operate sometimes. And I get it. I mean, what, what's you know, for all the people who get frustrated by that, why should they tell us anything? I mean, what, what, what do you gain by that, right? I mean, and most most teams are just doing the same kind of thing. They're trying to be deceptive about their practices, and you know, the Patriots are maybe just a little bit more flippant or a little bit more obnoxious about it, but it, I don't think it's that different than what most teams are trying to do. I'm just nervous that this is going to be both in the running and passing games, it's going to be very difficult to figure out the usage. I see a bunch of different receivers who kind of muddle together. I know the early returns on Devontae Parker sound favorable, and they certainly, to the point that they were saying that maybe Parker was the player they thought they were getting when they drafted um, Harry a couple of years ago. But they still have Kendrick Bourne. They, they still have Jacoby Myers. You know, maybe they'll have Aguilar, although I'm not sure he'll make the team. They have two tight ends who are going to get targets. I think this offense is going to be a mess. I think it's going to be a plus defense. I think it's going to be a team that's going to contend for a playoff spot. Stevenson, if he's, as long as his ADP doesn't go crazy, I'd still be open to taking him. He's younger than Harris. Harris is you know, on that first deal. It's going to run out. He's kind of in his lame duck season. So I'd rather have at their current ADP, Stevenson, than Harris. But if Stevenson percolates another six to 10 slots, I just might be out on everybody in this backfield. Yeah, I think this is one of the most difficult offenses to figure out for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned there. But I agree. As long as Stevenson kind of stays outside the top 30 backs, I'd, I'd really, really like to draft him because he does have that access to passing down work because of the James White situation. But it is very ADP sensitive there. Uh, do you care about the commander's backfield at all? I mean, like Brian Robinson sounds like he's going to, according to Ben Sandig of The Athletic, at a minimum, he's going to handle the short yardage work. Antonio Gibson started camp banged up, and he's back out there. We know J.D. McKissick is going to be involved in the passing down work. But do you care about this this backfield at all? Like, is, Are you drawn to drafting anybody, or is it just a full fade for you? Yeah, I think it's a full fade. I, I wish it'd go back to football team. I'm not really feeling the commander's no. nickname. Obviously, an upgrade over the, the it wrong It sounded weird just to say it just now. Like, I don't say... The commanders very often, but when I said the commanders running backs, I was like, oh, geez, God, I still um, I don't like it. Yeah, I'm not feeling it, but hey, whatever. At least it's <laughs> what a, you do? You know, a step forward from, you know, the the shame that they put on their helmet forever. But 
Yeah, when you you know the thing is when you have three backfield three backs in an offense that we have to talk about, you know, I always say it's the rule of three. You see three, you flee. It used to be that, oh no, this team is a backfield committee. They have two guys sharing the work, and you know now so many teams do that. That's kind of the standard. In fact, when we can reduce a backfield to two players commanding most of the touches, we feel good about that. But once you see a third person, obviously Robinson was a quality player at Alabama. It looks like he's going to get goal line work, at least some of it. And it's a shame because I'm such an Antonio Gibson fan. I love what he did on limited work his rookie year. And then last year he played hurt all season and his efficiency went down. But because of the injury, he still had a bunch of touchdowns, had a really valuable fantasy season on an offense that did little else right. But if you draft, well, you have to draft Gibson knowing that if they fall behind or if they're in a two-minute drill, it's probably McKissick. If they're at the goal line, you can't be confident Gibson's getting the carries. He'll get some of them, but you would think Robinson would have a role in there. I don't know how much Carson Wentz is an upgrade over the previous quarterbacks, maybe a little bit, but I don't think it's significant. It just makes me sad, man. Um, I want yeah. Terry McLaurin to be in a better offense. I would like this <laughs> team to be a decent team. Um, I don't know. Gibson, I think Gibson's a big loser in this. Uh, maybe you can take... And the problem with McKissick, he just doesn't have a big ceiling. He's like, you know, Naheem Hines. He's like, he's their version of Naheem Hines. You can talk, tell yourself a story. He might catch 55 passes, but he might also run for 113 yards. You know, I mean, we have to factor that he might score three touchdowns. And in the case of Robinson, I just can't see him shoving Gibson out of the way. I just think there's too much crowding here on an offense that is probably below league average. I don't think I'll be drafting proactively into any of these three. Would you rather draft – I'm asking this because I have these guys back-to-back back in my rankings and we just said it earlier. Would you rather draft Antonio Gibson or Josh Jacobs? Gibson only because I'm completely out on Jacobs. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just um, – I don't know. I mean, there's a chance Brian Robinson doesn't really earn a role, though he kind of you know got to take advantage of Antonio Gibson's absence earlier. So, I don't know. Not excited about either player, though, as you can tell. All right, I'm going to throw a couple of just – wide receiver grab bag at you and you tell me if one or two of these stories really stand out. Wandale Robinson confirmed the starting slot receiver for the New York Giants. Sterling Shepard probably not going to play early on in the year. Um, so there's that. Daniel Jones also like mixed reviews from training camp. That's one thing about it's just a sidebar. One thing about people getting excited about the Giants like oh this is, the quarterback might still be bad. Just 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 going to throw it out there. So Wandale Robinson starting wide receiver for the the, the Giants uh, in three receiver sets. Michael Gallup confirms, thanks for the honesty, that he is going to miss week one. He said it's not a realistic expectation for him to be out there. So Jalen Tolbert, another rookie receiver, might draw some uh, looks there early on. Isaiah McKenzie seems to have the edge on uh, banged up and unavailable Jamison Crowder for the slot receiver role in Buffalo. I think that's exciting. And then in Cleveland... It sounds like Donovan Peoples-Jones is locked into the wide receiver two-role. Rookie David Bell is on the pup. And, you know, DPJ, I know Albert Breer pointed him out as like a Deshaun Watson favorite early on. Of course, we know that we well, we know that we don't know anything about Deshaun Watson's availability yet. So any of those four stories really stand out to you as, you know, kind of guiding you to somebody to draft there? The big takeaway for all that is that, man, this is going to be the year where C.D. Lamb gets a boatload of targets. I mean, he's eked yes. over 100 targets his first two seasons. It just seems so obvious. And I, and I think the draft community has gone to this. I think his ADP is swelling upward to the point that you know, you're going to be see some drafts where C.D. Lamb's going to go like 111 or something like that, yeah. 110. And nobody's going to question it because the ball's going to go somewhere. The Cowboys are always fascinating, right? I mean, we, we could do singular episodes about how they don't view Zeke as a sunk cost and why aren't they playing Pollard and his efficiency is so much better and Zeke's been in the league for so long and all that. But 
Uh, I'm excited about C.D. Lamb. I don't see anybody else in that receiving group. You know, Gallup, and here's the thing with Gallup, too. When he says he's not going to be ready week one, we're used to players doing one of two things with their injury stuff. They don't talk about it, or they all say, oh, I, I'm a quick returner. You know, don't believe the high end of my estimate. I'm, I'll, be, I'll, beat that, I'll beat that timetable. So when somebody shrugs and tells us the truth and says, hey, I'm not... Don't count on me. I'm not going to be ready week one. I, I, for one thing, it's refreshing honesty. It is. You know, yeah. I think like Mike Tomlin's one of the few coaches who tells us the truth on injuries. I, I give Michael Gallup credit for being upfront about it. Um, but man, it, J- James Washington and, and Tolbert, and I know they signed a guy, you know, from the USFL and everything. But I just think this is the CD Lamb show. I, I still can't. I still want to squint and see that Daniel Jones has upside. I still want to believe that he was just saddled with the worst possible coaching the last couple of years. And he's still athletic. He's in a prove it year. He's young enough that I could see him coming around. Uh, again, we know that it was Shepard not being ready week one. That basically makes him undraftable for me. And Isaiah McKenzie, I don't think Isaiah McKenzie's ever going to get enough weekly projectable volume to be a standard league play. But as you're finishing up your best ball season before you get more to the regular drafts that you do, he's a great late round pick. I love yeah. a piece of he could conceivably be more valuable than Crowder. And this offense is going to support a lot of guys. I think Josh Allen probably runs for fewer touchdowns this year and probably throws for 40 or 45 or something like that. And there's going to be weeks. There's going to be spike weeks for Isaiah McKenzie. I don't think we'll get anything out of it in seasonal. I don't think maybe even DFS. It might be a stretch, but I'd love to be sitting on him as just that last receiver on my depth chart in a best ball league. And I know it's kind of like the cheap, you know, industry cop out analyst cop out say, well, I'll take him in best ball. Don't take him in other leagues, but Hey, I, that's just a way, a cheap way to get an angle into a Buffalo offense. that I think right now we all agree is the best in football. Yep, I do think that McKenzie makes a really good best. Like you better draft him in best ball, man. He's gonna have some weeks, and I I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he carves out a pretty significant role. We'll see uh, with the, how the whole Buffalo thing shakes out. Let All me right. say one more uh, thing about oh, yeah, one more thing it. about best ball because I, I want to talk less about the Panthers as much as possible. Me too. <laughs> this is not on the script. But I just want to throw this out there and see what you think of this. I can't get past the idea that Tim Patrick is going to lead the Broncos in touchdown catches. I want Tim Patrick on my, and I don't even think he's just a best ball pick anymore. I think he's actually a seasonal pick. What say you? Oh yeah, for sure. I I think that I've, of the Denver receivers, I'm in line with consensus on Cortland Sutton as, you know, I've got him at wide receiver 19. That's about where he goes. I think he's the most secure one of these guys because he's the one who's not going to leave the field. And I also think he has the best peak season on his resume. I'm lower than consensus on Jerry Judy because I can't quite figure out where he's going to play. Is he going to play in two receiver sets? I don't think he should be a slot receiver. I think Tim Patrick should be their big slot receiver. And I'm a few spots ahead of consensus as, you know, still he's down there in like wide receiver uh, 55 or something, but that is ahead of consensus in terms of Tim Patrick. So I agree with you hundred percent seasonal pick. Um, Judy is the guy I've read a couple of negative reviews of, uh, from training camp from Cecil Lammy, who, who covers the team about Jerry Judy. I'm st- he's the one I have the toughest time with, but I agree with you that I do want to draft Tim Patrick and, and Jerry Judy. I still, kind of waffle back and forth about where I don't, I think he struggled last year, but you can write it off from the high ankle sprain injury. Uh, but I also, I think that he just hasn't proven consistently that he is a starting level receiver. Even if he had some good signals in, in his rookie season, I think there's a chance he does fall behind Tim Patrick. Who's been, you, you can't forget this too, Scott, that the, this current general manager, George Payton invested in Cortland Sutton with a contract extension, even though he didn't draft him. And same thing with Tim Patrick also invested in him 
last season as well. Jerry Judy was the guy who, you know, was drafted by the old regime and, you know, has no significant investment yet. Of course, he's still a young player. Much like you said, the Niners last year were the team, critical team to get right for fantasy. I, I think the Broncos are one of those teams this year where oh God, there's yeah. so much talent here and they've finally gotten a real quarterback. They finally landed a real quarterback. We know we know what's going on with the backfield, but they have the young ascending talent, but they still brought Gordon back and Gordon was actually pretty good last year. So if you come up with the right answers on the Broncos, I think it's going to go a long way because I think there's going to be two or three guys on this offense that at the end of the season are going to be like, yeah, you know, the price on this guy in the summer was really good. I wish I'd gotten more of him. And at the same time, too, I know we'll move on to the Panthers, I swear. Uh, Panthers heads out there. We'll move on in a second. But And yet, Scott, I also think there is a scenario where this offense struggles to find itself because Wilson is such a hyper-specific player. And this offense really doesn't, like, what Nathaniel Hackett has done through the course of his career as Green Bay's offensive coordinator. Obviously, of course, Matt LaFleur has a lot to say uh, about that. But even dating back to his Jacksonville days, none of that really fits like what Russell Wilson wants to be what he wants to be not what he is because I also think there's a little bit of a not true overlap there like he wants to be a Drew Brees like point guard type of quarterback but also chuck it deep he's he's just never really been that type of quarterback so I don't know it's I think there's a lot it could take a little bit of time for this Denver offense to coalesce to the point that none of these guys end up being great picks in fantasy uh, where I was sure that there would be great picks in the 49ers offense just didn't get him right because Elijah Mitchell, uh, we didn't know he was coming. And we, like I said, I was not high enough on Debo last year. So all right, we can't, let's not avoid this any longer. Let's do our, <laughs> let's do our Panthers team preview here. Um, okay. So I, and, and I, I want to actually say to get this, to get this started, you know, we were going back and forth with our producer, John, uh, over email. And, you know, he said, at least we don't have to talk about Sam Darnold. Scott, I kind of think we might still have to talk about Sam Darnold because I, and not because I think it's the right decision. Like, I think Darnold stinks. He's proven he's a bottom five quarterback, no matter what the surrounding talent is, whatever. And Baker Mayfield, I don't think is a true franchise answer, but I think he's at least an average quarterback in the NFL where Sam Darnold is not. But when I hear things like Matt Rule saying, I don't pick the starting quarterback, that's not my job. I know what he's trying to say. I know he's trying to say that they'll prove it like on the field. It still sounds like a stupid thing to say. So when I hear things like that, and then I also see, you know, Sam Darnold's lighting it up in training camp, Baker Mayfield's not lighting it up that much in training camp. Like the practice statistics are better for Sam Darnold. I think that the Panthers might screw this up and actually play both of these guys this season, as opposed to just like Baker Mayfield starts all these games and that's good for DJ Moore, whatever. So I want to start with that premise. Am I, am I right to be concerned that Sam Darnold isn't quite all the way out of our lives yet? Yeah, I was hoping that Mayfield could get control of this job as soon as possible. And, and I was willing to give Mayfield a, a mulligan for you know, having the, I know it wasn't his wrong shoulder, it was his left shoulder, but everything I saw from Mayfield last year from a an offense that he didn't really fit in ideally, and, and they never really got Beckham going, they eventually had to just give him away, get rid of him. I think a fresh start for Mayfield made a lot of sense. And, and while he's never, I don't think anybody expects him to pay off what his, pedigree was you know Heisman Trophy number one overall pick nobody's expecting him to be the face of football anymore 
I still think he can be at least a league average quarterback, maybe slightly above that. And if nothing else, better than Sam Darnold. So I was hoping that Mayfield, and I get it. Look, you don't, you don't trade for the guy and just immediately give him the job. He's, he's not good enough. He hasn't earned that based on recent play. And you, you want to some degree set up a competition training camp. I, I get all those things. I was hoping that Mayfield would have more of a drumbeat in his favor at this point. I still think he's the best quarterback here. Look, Matt Rule needs to keep his job. He needs to have a positive season. And I still think Mayfield's going to be the guy who gives him the best chance. So I'm a little bit frustrated that we haven't seen more movement in that to begin the year because I need to tell myself a happy Baker Mayfield story to get on board with DJ Moore. I'm just sick of DJ Moore scoring four touchdowns every season yeah. when he's got the, you know, much like you know, we, we talk about Terry McLaurin all the time. I just can't wait to see, or we talked about Allen Robinson, right? Just, you know, submarine by all these bad quarterbacks. A couple of years, it didn't matter. He had one monster year with Bortles somehow, but I just want to see DJ Moore in a good relationship. And I you know not that Mayfield was his ideal, was his was his dream quarterback, but I was hoping it was a step forward. Yeah. And you know, I thought a, hel- a healthy Mayfield could, you know, a solidified Mayfield could maybe get DJ Moore to that seven to nine touchdown range that he should be in every year. Uh, it's just a sin. I look at his football reference page. It just makes me want to cry. I mean, th- this guy's such a good player. I don't blame him at all for it either. I blame the pieces around him, but uh, I still think Mayfield's going to start opening day, but I wish that, he were further along in just kind of owning this spot. And, he, and he, right now it just looks murky and murky's not good. Carolina needs a clear direction. Also, I, I don't think it's good when a team goes into opening day where even if like the starter, you think, okay, is he a half away from being pulled? You know, is this, we know this guy's going to play game two. I don't think that's good for a team. You need to know who your guy is. And I'm hoping it's going to be Mayfield because I think he is a whiff of upside that, Certainly, Darnold doesn't. Of course, they have a rookie quarterback, too, in Corral. Maybe he'll play at some point. I don't know. I was hoping Mayfield would hit the ground running. It sounds like he, he hasn't. And because of that, it gives me cold feet on a player and more who I really want to draft into. I'm willing to give it time. I'm willing to give, like, Baker Mayfield, a, yeah, for, like, a couple more weeks, you know, deeper into August. Like, if he's – if we're walking into week one, Baker Mayfield's the starting quarterback, I'm going to feel a lot better about DJ Moore. And, I like, I'm not even that big of a Baker guy, you know? Like, I don't – Me neither. I'm not, I'm not that big of a Baker guy. But I think Baker Mayfield could get DJ Moore to, like – wide receiver 11 to 12 num- like overall numbers I, and I'm, I'm willing to rank him there I'm willing to kind of be because I think the floor is good like I think he's gonna catch 80 to 90 balls he's gonna get the yardage and I think the touchdown regression could come and hit it like positive regression could come and hit him and he scores seven to eight touchdowns this year I think that's well within the range of outcomes because there's not a lot established behind DJ Moore right like Robbie Anderson, he's changing his name, you know, whatever. I mean, Robbie Anderson had a bad year last year. He's probably still a guy that I'm okay drafting in the late rounds because, again, there's no, there's literally no certainty behind Robbie Anderson. You know, there's Rashard Higgins is kicking around, who is a Baker Mayfield favorite from Cleveland, who was there before Baker was traded for. Terrace Marshall had a terrible rookie season, but maybe he finds his footing in year two. There's a lot up in the air behind him there. The tight end room, like maybe Tommy Tremble emerges, uh, but they gave a big contract to Ian Thomas, who they view as a blocker. We know the deal with McCaffrey, so... I think that DJ Moore is like, I think he's a a, a, a dark horse. We talk about CeeDee Lamb, who's like my favorite dark horse to lead the NFL in targets. I, I think DJ Moore is like a super dark horse to lead the team in target or lead the NFL in targets, uh, DJ Moore. So I want to draft him, but I, I feel much better about it if it's Mayfield and not like a potential. If we see all three of these guys this year, we're, we're screwed. Corral and, and Darnold and Baker. I'd also like to see, I don't think anybody wants receivers necessarily to do what Patterson did last year, what Debo did last year. But I still think like 
DJ Moore should have 80 to 120 rushing yards every I'm year. So and there was one you. season where they used yes. him that way and they've gone away from that. I think that's a big mistake. Um, and I hope they go back to that. The, the other thing about this team that, that I think is a really big story. And we know for all the talk we give about sleepers and about who's taking the seventh round, who's taking the 12th round and all that, the first round will dominate a lot of fantasy discussions. And there's been a lot of industry people who I respect who are pushing CMC, Christian McCaffrey, up to number one overall. My current top four, uh, I've retooled my rankings a lot in the last few days. I still have Jonathan Taylor at one. I have Christian McCaffrey at four. I think my top four is kind of a tier. If I drafted a lot of people, Evan Silva will tell you this. He'd like to draft fourth because he feels like the fourth player in his top tier is fantastic. That said, if I get the first pick, I'm still smashing Jonathan Taylor right away, where I know a lot of people in the industry I respect are thinking McCaffrey might be the play at number one. What's your view on, is McCaffrey number one worthy? Would you take him over Taylor? Where is he on your current board? He's two for me. Uh, I would still take JT number one overall, uh, just because I think the touchdown upside is there. I think this offense can be better in the Indianapolis Colts with Matt Ryan instead of Carson Wentz. And with McCaffrey, like, it's simple. When he plays, he's the best player in fantasy. Do you think you can predict injuries? I mean, if you predicted them going into last year, you were right for Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he hasn't played very often at all the last two years, and that's really scary, right? Like, it's really scary to think I'm going to invest in this guy in the third year in a row because it's just it's just the simple principle of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? Like, that's the deal with Christian McCaffrey going into year three. But there's really no safe running back picks this year after Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I think Austin Eckler is a really fine pick. Like, I'm totally fine with Austin Eckler as my RB3, and I would be actually comfortable taking Austin Eckler third overall this year. So I think he's a he's he's in the same tier for me as McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor. I, I'm, I'm in on him in that sense. But after that, like, I'm not comfortable taking Derrick Henry in the top five. You know, then you're God, like, no. The next guys in my rankings are Dalvin Cook and Aaron Jones. And Aaron Jones, I've got ranked ahead, aggressively ahead of AD, ADP. But, you know, Najee Harris in round one, I don't feel awesome about that. The receivers are good. So it's just kind of like, I don't know. In a lot of ways, I feel like you have to sort of plug your nose and take McCaffrey if you have the second overall pick. Because, yeah, when he's out there, he isn't, he's basically an elite wide receiver and an elite running back. And that's just really tough to get away from that advantage. So let's say we're co-managing a team. We have the two pick Taylor goes first. Could I talk you into Cooper cup or Justin Jefferson with the two pick? Or would you push? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that if I'm, and I, I'm going to redo, I did a, a, like a first round mock draft, what I would do and if, if I had every single pick if I'm drafting against myself, which is never going to happen, of course, because I there are enough people out there that want to draft me. I have enough friends to do this. Uh, <laughs> but I would probably go, I would be totally fine going, you know, Jonathan Taylor and then Cooper Cup or even Justin Jefferson, 100%. I, I could be talked into it. Now, I think if it was me, if it was just me making the decision, I think I would go Chris McCaffrey, but I wouldn't push back on you hard if you wanted to go Cooper Cup or you wanted to go Justin Jefferson. And I also think Jamar Chase and Stefan Diggs are in the same tier as those guys, but I don't think they're quite in contention for like the second and third overall pick types. A couple of reasons why I have Taylor above uh, McCaffrey. I like the player who's three years younger on his NFL resume. I don't know their actual ages, but I mean, you know, this is season six for McCaffrey. It's season three for Taylor. 
I get a better offensive line in Indianapolis. I think actually the Carolina offensive line by anybody's measurement right now is below average. The Colts we know have one of the better offensive lines in football. I will, I will push back on that a little bit because they've added some, they have added a lot like, and they might be, and I'm talking like they might be average this year. Last year, they were one of the absolute worst in the NFL by any measure. Just, I mean, go (laughs) by the measure of just looking at the damn depth chart going into the season. You're like, this line is going to, tank the entire unit and, and putting Sam Darnold behind it is malpractice because at least Sam Darnold can be competent when and I mean it's barely competent when he's protected but he wasn't protected last year drafting uh Iquanu uh, Iki Iquanu at, at six overall great pick I think he'll find a spot there they trade or they add Austin Corbett as well um I think the line could be improved this year to the point that they're average which is a win okay. for, for Chris McCaffrey but for sure for sure but just looking Taylor McCaffrey it's like okay Taylor's for younger sure. in his NFL career Taylor has a better offensive line Taylor is a team projected to win more games and even though and Taylor's been a good receiver in his career and look I get it the Colts have paid Hines and he's going to have a role in all that and he's probably better off with Matt Ryan than Carson Wentz like everybody else is you know please draft Michael Pittman Yes. But Jonathan Taylor has been a good receiver. It's not like he can't catch the ball. I think he's going to 45, 50, 55 catches, something like that. He just can't get the 90 or 100 that McCaffrey might get in a full season. But uh, that's the reason I'm going to go that way. And it, just because he came up, Derrick Henry, a friend of a friend is thinking about taking Derrick Henry third overall. He's in a league where he has the first and third pick. And imagine having the first and third pick in a draft and taking Derrick Henry third with like Justin Jefferson sitting there or Cup sitting there or Chase sitting there. I mean, man, take take Taylor and one of those loaded receivers and go smash your league, man. Don't don't take Derrick Henry third overall. Please, nobody do that. No, nobody do that. All right, Scott, any other Panthers thoughts, any fringe guys that you're kind of interested in here before before we wrap it up? I got nothing else. I, Robbie Anderson. Yeah. You know, Matt, have you ever had a bad season and thought I got to take a T out of my name, you know, or switch <laughs> to Maddie Harmon or something like that? I, I hope oh, you never no, go that never. route. No, the no, name, hate, the I... name change, the cosmetic name change. It's one thing if you change his name to Sam or something or, you know, Jeremiah, but just, you know, changing the way you spell Robbie. I, I don't, I, that makes me wonder what's going on in that head of his. And this is from somebody who wanted Robbie Anderson last year because I was, I was buoyed by the idea that, Oh, him and Sam Darnold already know each other. I guess yeah. that was kind of a negative and not a positive, but yeah. uh, this is not a team. Again, Tampa Bay should be getting the NFC South division title in the mail around Thanksgiving. hundred percent. All right. That's going to do it for us. Hope you guys rock with us. And as the formats kind of changing here. And like I said, this is, I'm really excited about this. It's a challenge. I think to, to, to going to be to host the show five days a week during the season, once we ramp up to it next week, but I'm, I'm excited. It's a challenge I'm excited for. And, and I, I, I hope I can make a great show for everybody. And I, I hope I can highlight great people like Scott and Andy and Dalton. Cause I respect these guys so much. And um, I think that we're going to, we're going to put together some stuff that makes you think, I hope, I hope throughout the course of the season. So I'm really excited about it. I hope this is uh, a fun change for everybody. And uh, yeah, and that is going to do it for us today, like I said. So uh, make sure you are following one of these very smart people I just mentioned, at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. And you can follow me too, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And of course, while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. And if you are new to the show, subscribe. You know, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, tell me what you t- You can, now that I'm going to host this damn show a- every day, let me know if you like it. Let me know what you want to see. I'm open to feedback. You can tweet the feedback directly to me because I, I want to hear it. So I will be back tomorrow with Andy Barons to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. What a treat. Panthers and Seahawks back to back. We'll be talking Drew Locke and Geno Smith after Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Oh boy. Until then, we're out. <laughs>